What we're going to see is that the Bible is far more than simply a rule book. It's more than good ideas, tips and tricks and techniques for life. It's more than ancient history or ancient literature. We're going to see that it's the story of the God who acts, who is and who acts, who speaks and who listens. The God who reveals and who judges, who blesses and curses, and above all else, the God who loves. The God who loves people, even wayward and unfaithful people, perhaps like you and me. And I think along the way, at least it's my prayer, is that we'll discover that these stories of God, His story is not just about way back then, but we'll find our own lives each week coming alive in the midst of the pages of Scripture. Now, as we begin, and over the next couple of months, we're going to be in Genesis and then in Exodus. I'm sure you know they're the first two books of the Bible, and they're also two of the five books that make up the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch being the first five books of the Old Testament, written predominantly, primarily by Moses. Now, the reason that I'm telling you about this, sort of laying out this groundwork of the Pentateuch and Moses and all this, is because it's helpful, I think, when we engage the Old Testament to understand the context, to understand why it was written. So many Christians have little bits of Bible stories that they've learned over the years, but don't understand the overarching narrative and the point of it all. And so we want to understand what in the world was it written for? Why did Moses lay it out? Well, he did so sometime after Israel was delivered out of their bondage in Egypt, out of slavery, and before they arrived in the promised land. Remember, the Hebrew people had been in slavery for 400 years. Now, like we've heard that before, it probably washes over us. It probably doesn't mean a lot. Think about long-term generational abuse victims, people who have been under intense trauma for generations. They don't know who they are. And so this book of origins is designed to help them understand what it means to be the people of God, those whom God has rescued, those whom God has made his own. And so it's unfolding as they're on their way to becoming a nation. This new nation needed to know who God is. They needed to know what it means to be his people and what he expects. They needed to know their own origins, their own family story, and they needed to know that Yahweh, the God of creation who rescued them and made them his own, is totally different from all the gods of the nations around them. He is holy, 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 and marvelous in every kind of way. Totally other, totally different. And so we have the book of Genesis. Now, it is not a scientific textbook, though there are things that you can observe scientifically in it. It's a theological treatise. It reveals God as sovereign creator, sustainer of all life. And through Genesis, the Hebrew people and all of us who have read it since 
have the opportunity to understand what Yahweh is like above all else that he is trustworthy. Everybody say trustworthy. Now, when we get to the fall, which is coming next week, and I'll try not to go too far ahead in the story, we're going to discover that the problem that's existed since that time that every one of us in this room deals with throughout our entire lives is, is God trustworthy? Is he good? Can I believe what he says? But what we learn at the beginning is he's completely trustworthy. He's completely good. He's marvelous in every kind of way. And that it is through his power and the authority of his word that he has created all things. That's how powerful God is. And this God, who is both powerful and trustworthy and good, desires relationship. Relationship with you and relationship with me. And so Genesis starts. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's something about opening lines, right? Opening lines are very important. They set the stage. It's not the fullness of the story, of course. But it does begin to introduce character and plot. It's an invitation into what's coming, laying groundwork, setting things in motion. I mean, think for a minute about some of the great lines, the great opening lines. You might know this one. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. That's the opening of A Tale of Two Cities, right? Some of you are having to reach a ways back to remember that one. That's Dickens, Charles Dickens. How about this one? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Jane Austen. I think that's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Pride and prejudice. Or how about this? Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. That's Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Or or how about this one? This one rocked my world as a first grader. (laughs) It shaped my imagination powerfully. It's not from a book, but it's from the opening scene of the first movie I saw in a theater a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) That's Star Wars, in case you don't know it. The Bible is such a powerful book that it's got two opening lines. Right? You've got Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the beginning of space and time and matter. It's the beginning of the world, the tangible world. And that's the opening revelation. Everybody say revelation. It's the opening revelation, not speculation, of God. God is. And ultimately, it's His story. He's the hero. He's the main action. We are a part, but it's his story. He exists. Now, the other opening line comes from John 1 that Laura read for us a few moments ago. Right? The beginning of the New Testament, the further unveiling, the revealing of who God is in fullness. Deeper, further, fuller revelation of God's story unveiling for us the beginning in a fuller sense. 
and giving us a clearer understanding of what Genesis points to, that there is one God who exists in a trinity of persons. So John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. So before everything else, God exists in trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's hinted at in Genesis. It's fully revealed in the New Testament. This community, a community existing in perfect relationship, absolute intimacy. And everybody say this, purest love. That's important. Because that's the kind of love you have been looking for all of your life. Purest love. It's a kind of intimacy and community and relationship that you and I are made for. That's the creation. And of course, that's what we see at the end of Genesis chapter 1, right? Following all these events of creation, right? Stars and quasars and light and land and sea and all the creatures, this beautiful creation that's unveiled and unfolded through the majesty of God. Incidentally, if you want to read a beautiful account of it, go read C.S. Lewis, The Magician's Nephew, because Aslan sings the creation into being and everything explodes at at once moments and explosions process and suddenly it's really a beautiful tale but then we get to the sixth day and of course that's where we sort of jump from one to six in that reading this morning and the sixth day we get to the high point of all creation we get to the pinnacle of the opening story the opening salvo in verse 26 God says, let us, there's your first hint of the Trinity, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We're made in God's image and God's likeness. Now, there's a... a, well, we've got lots of pictures. Our family's probably like yours, takes a lot of photos over the years. And, and it seems like with each of my kids, I have a photo with me and them, whether the boy or the girls, and you can see the likeness. You can see the image. There's one that I think of often of my son who was just a little guy. He's wearing his, we lived in Pittsburgh at the time, I think, or just thereafter, his Pittsburgh Pirates pajamas. And he's asleep on the bed, and I'm asleep on the bed. We both are sunburned, so it's probably here in South Carolina. And we're laying in exactly the same position. Like, you couldn't have staged it, because here I'm this old guy, and here he's this little guy, and we are laying exactly alike. It's the image of God, a chip off the old block. You are created in the image of God, not in physical likeness, but in capacity. You have capacity for spiritual life, for ethics, for morality. That's a capacity that makes you like God and different from all of creation. You have a conscience knowing right from wrong. And you have the ability to represent God on the earth. 
This is what it means for us to be created in the image of God. We are a chip off the old block. Notice that we are in the image of God as male and female, co-equal, co-value. The whole battle of the sexes doesn't come until next week. And then from then on out until the end. But in the creation, there's, there's, we're different as male and female, but of totally the same value in God's sight. Total equality. As males, as females. And because we're made in the image of the Trinity, that's why, listen, that's why we are relational to the core. Relational to the core. John Eldridge writes this in the Sacred Romance, nothing will touch our hearts like relationship, either to thrill it or to break it. Now think about that. The deepest joys you've had in your life have been in the context of relationship. And the places where your heart has been smashed and broken is in the context of relationship. And so the single person Well, they want to be known. They want to be in friendships. They might long for marriage. The married person or persons long for children. When the children grow up and leave, well, the grandparents long for grandkids, right? There's this desire to be known in relationship, relational to the core. And every betrayal that's happened in your life, every heartbreak that's occurred has had people involved. Again, that's moving forward into the later story. But you are made for relationship. And that's why we talk about this so much. Relationship is woven into the image of God that is in us in the creation. And so it's part of why we need to come together for church. It's okay to be online. It's okay to worship on your own. But we're made to worship together. That's why Sunday matters. That's why being together matters. That's why when we were apart for those 12 or 14 or 18 months, however long it was for you, there was an ache in you. And when you came back for the first time, and perhaps today's that day, there was an explosion of joy in you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've been watching it for months as people have been working their way back into church, this explosion of joy. Because you're created to be together. That's why we worship together. And that's why we talk about being in groups together. Because it's more than just reading the Bible. It's about being known and being loved. Not just loving others, but you need love. Now there's one more thing I want to point to today. This beginning in this genesis, in this start of his story. And it's... It's what shows the heart of God. Verse 28, and God blessed them. God is a God who blesses. And after each day it says, and it was good. And it was good. The creation is so good because God is good. And God is a God who blesses. There's so many people who are afraid that God is a God who will only smite or crush 
or judge. Yes, God is holy. We're going to see that as the story unfolds. Yes, God is a God of justice. But because God is a God of goodness and God is a God of love, He takes the justice upon Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus. Again, that's a little further in the story, though. For right now, we see abundance, blessing, fruitfulness. There's only one limitation at the beginning. Everything else is complete openness with one another and with God. No separation, no division, no fear of God. And God blesses. It's the picture of all this joy and love and grace. That's the heart of God toward you. And if that is not deeply within you, if sitting in the reality of the truth that God is a God who loves you doesn't explode joy in your heart, something shut down inside you and you need some healing. The good news is this is a place where that can happen. And I think in these months to come, that is something that He'll unfold if you're hungry for it, if you're desperate to know it. God gives this grace. God blesses them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Life is more than just accumulation. Like we think, yeah, I'm blessed. I've got it all. But blessing biblically, it may include stuff, but that's the small narrative of our culture. Get the most. No, in God's eyes, blessing and purpose is for the sake of others. It's to move out beyond us, to help the world be filled with worshipers. That begins in families as you lead your children to know the loving voice of God and the goodness of our Creator and the majesty and wonder and grace of our Savior. But it's also what we're called to do wherever we go to extend the creative goodness of God to the people around us, and especially the people who don't deserve it. Thank you. That's just about everybody, by the way. (laughs) You have purpose. There's purpose for you. What is that purpose? Extend the worship of God and care for the creation. Like take care of the earth. You don't have to be like a hippie in the mountains. To, to, that's Bible. Care for the earth. Take care of the creation. Bless it. Extend God's good rule and God's good kingdom. This God who blesses, who creates, and as we'll see, who redeems, this God is crazy about you. And He wants you to know this. And I would pray as we go through this fall, I would invite you, whether you're in a life group and your group's working through the stories of God's story, His story, or maybe you're not. You're not ready for that yet. Well, why not, why not keep up with the story? Like move through it with us together. Whether you're coming in prepared because you've read the text on the way in, so when you arrive, like you're ready for what God has. Or coming out of it, you're, you're inspired to read more and to engage more, to know more. But here's the thing about knowing God. Knowing God is not just about having facts. Knowing God is always about connection. It's always about relationship. It's always about experience.
God loves you. God created you. And in his son Jesus, he has redeemed you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, please let the truth of the goodness and wonder of who you are, let it be deep in our hearts and our lives. Let us be people who live from the joy of the good God whose heart is good and who calls us to extend your world outwards, Lord. God, give us a bigger vision. Take away the small gods we're tempted to worship and the small places we're tempted to find satisfaction and let us find our place in your story. We praise you. We honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.